Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first delicious episode of the Spooky Soup Podcast. My name is Jesse Johnson, here with my sister, my co-host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Soup. This is Tessa Johnson. And uh, yeah, this is a new project that we've been wanting to start for a while. Look, we're just two siblings obsessed with the weird, strange, and curious, and uh, we wanted a platform that we could share some weird stuff with you all. So, So come along for this journey, and let's have a great time. Can't wait to get started. You know, we've grown up with all these spooky stories, and so we're just finally translating that to you guys. That's right. Yep. We, I don't know, for a long time since, I think since high school for me, I think like sophomore year when I saw my first episode of Ghost Adventures is like when I started getting into the paranormal and the weird stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. When did that start for you? Totally had to do with Ghost Adventures. Every Friday night. I was home alone, usually, well, with mom and dad, and I'd be watching Ghost Adventures, making pizza. That was always my plans. That's gross. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, like, I I can't remember the name of the episode. I tried finding the episode, and they, like, don't air it any, like, you, you try and go find it on their, like, list of episodes, and it's not there. Like, it's so old that Zach Bagans is scrawny. Like, it was literally one of their first episodes. And it was, one. It was like, I know they went back to this location, but it was this hotel in Colorado that was abandoned. Oh, Goldfield Hotel? I think it was the Goldfield Hotel, yeah. So it's the first episode. And the part that got to me was when they're, Zach and, I think it was Zach and Nick, they're in the basement. And you, they like turn the corner into a room and a brick that was laying on the ground just goes flying across the screen. And like that, from that moment, I was like, what the frick? What what are ghosts? <laughs> what is this? Anyways, so that that's what got me hooked on the weirdness. So, um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, I totally relate to that. I mean, growing up, I was always terrified of our basement. I just always felt like there was something down there. I didn't know what it was. I still live in that basement, and I can still feel it. But wait, wait, hold. How old are you? 23. How long did it take you to move down there? <laughs> 22 years. <laughs> We're like 22 and a half years. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I lived down there for what? Like 16 years. So don't even start with me. <laughs> but no, I can attest that our basement is haunted. So, okay. Well, uh, with the content that we want to share, once again, it's creepy. It's curious. It's strange. It's weird. It's awesome, but today I have, uh, I have two Reddit stories to share. Oh, awesome! Okay, well, I have more of like a historical story, but it's very creepy. I love it. Yeah, mine. I want to end on creepy. Like mine are creepy, but probably not as creepy as yours because I'm, I'm looking at your eyes right now, and it's gonna be creepy. <laughs> so, but mine are My still creepy. Eyes. Okay, <laughs> so I'll go first. Okay, for this episode, I'll go first. How about that? Sounds good. Okay. This first one is called Genuine Fear, and it is by the Reddit user ThenSystem1022. So, it starts off, I've been working in law enforcement for the past 25 years, so I've seen my fair share of crazy stuff. But today is the first day I finally experienced genuine fear. I recall the time I responded to a domestic violence situation. The call for service went out 10 minutes into my shift. Dispatch reported a woman was crying out for help inside her home. Without a moment's hesitation, I hit my lights and sirens and raced over to the location of the call. 
but by the time I arrived, she was already deceased. According to the neighbor, she and the boyfriend were both heavy drug users, and he often beat her when he became upset. I knocked on the door and announced my presence and slowly made my way inside. My boots made a squishy sound when they touched the blood-soaked carpet. I followed the trail of blood and found her lying on the kitchen floor. He stabbed her over 50 times and removed her heart. I searched the rest of the house and found him overdosed in the back room. Until today, this was my scariest call for service. Jeez. (laughs) I don't like that. So this is kind of funky. So now it's going into another story. But it's kind of related only because he's pretty much just saying that up until this moment, that was like the scariest. But anyways, so here's like another super scary story of his as well. Wait, he tops that? Are you kidding me? Yes. Oh my God. But you know, you know what's sad is like that is what happens to like police officers on the daily. I actually went to school for law enforcement. That's what my degree was at first at Weber State. And I took one criminal justice class, which was like a CSI and I was like nope I'm out it was like gross what they showed me so okay so here's his next story um it's there's no title to it but it's all within the same post so it continues I-97 was notorious for fatal car accidents so my department created a task force to combat reckless drivers the task force aimed to arrest anyone driving 15 miles per hour over the speed limit which is so funny to me because in Utah, we would all be pulled over and arrested. Oh, it's 20 over or die. 20 over or die. I'm running your ass over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, Utah's, yeah, okay. For months, I've asked my sergeant to add me to the task force. So today, at roll call, when he announced our assignments, I was excited to learn that I was picked. I was assigned to the pursuit car, in which the main objective was to catch the cars that the spotter called out. About five hours into my shift, the spotter called out a white Ford Fusion with Michigan plates heading my direction going over 35 miles per hour. Straight to jail. Right to jail. (laughs) When I saw the vehicle matching the description, I quickly pulled up behind it and initiated a traffic stop. The traffic stop was pretty routine. I stopped about five yards behind the vehicle and turned my steering wheel to the left. Then I informed dispatch of my location and requested a license plate check. The plate came back to a John Williams with no record of it being stolen. I exited my patrol car and proceeded toward the vehicle's driver's side. I stopped and placed my hand on the trunk to mark my presence and ensure it was secure. When I approached the driver's window, I asked him to turn the car off and throw the keys on the dashboard. Thinking back on it now, I do recall him having the eyes of a dead man. I then asked him to produce his license and registration, which he did without delay. With his info in hand, I headed back to my car to run a name check. However, I couldn't find his name in the system, so I asked Dispatch to try. Dispatch managed to find him, but they informed me he was coming back as deceased. In preparation for the arrest, I radioed for backup and waited until they arrived. With my backup on the scene, we approached the vehicle to make the arrest. However, when I got to the driver's side window, I noticed the driver was gone. I quickly radioed a lookout and canvassed the area for him. With the driver nowhere to be found, I searched his vehicle for clues. About halfway through the search, I noticed a familiar foul smell coming from his trunk. Working in my profession, you have become familiar with certain smells, and one of those smells is that of a decomposing corpse. I grabbed the keys from the dashboard and walked around to the trunk. I paused for a second to mentally prepare myself for what I was about to see, but nothing could prepare me for what lay inside the trunk. When I opened the trunk, 
I was mortified by what was inside. A cold chill shot down my back, and the hair on my arms began to stand. For the first time in my 25-year career, I was experiencing genuine fear. And it wasn't because of the corpse. It was because the corpse was that of the driver. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a nope right out of their scenario. That, I mean, you, can, I, you can't really trust what's on Reddit. But I, I searched true Reddit scary stories, you know? Yeah. Um, but bravo to this Reddit user uh, because that was some really good writing. Yeah, it definitely got me hooked. So, yeah, scary. That is scary. You know, part of me believes that's that's got to be true in some essence, you know. I mean, you do recognize the smell of death when you smell it. So I've heard. I was going to say, how much <laughs> death you've been around. <laughs> yeah, freaky. Good writing. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was one story. I have another. All right. Okay. This one is creepy. This one's meant to more just give you chills. But anyways, I'm not going to say anything more just to kind of get you get you, uh, get you in the moment. So this one was posted by Reddit user L underscore Matthews. So uh, this one is called The Rest of Your Life. It is a short thriller. This one's a little bit longer. I'm going to try and do voices because there's two characters in this. All right. Hello, dear boy. A voice gently called out from the darkness, steering Sam awake from his deep slumber. He blinked a few times and found that the world did not become brighter as he opened his eyes. Wherever he had woken up was pitch black. No light shined in from any window or crack that may or may not have been there. He felt his eyes dart around for a moment before he realized how stiff and sore his body was. The young man let out a groan and struggled to sit up on the cold, hard surface he had woken up on. His joints refused to loosen and his muscles wound tighter from his movements, but he was soon propped up on the palms of his hands. His eyes glanced around again to find anything he could fix them to, but all he was allowed to do was stare into the seemingly infinite void. Who, who's there? Sam called out as he had realized that the voice he heard came from this reality and not from the dream one. The young man waited for several moments with the only darkness answering back with its sinister silence. With a lack of any audible response, Sam shifted slightly with his hands outstretched to his left as he desperately searched for a vertical surface to rest his back on. Though, before he could find anything, there was finally a response. I don't believe my name matters at this point. In a few minutes, I doubt you'll even remember it, the stranger said with a grim, rusty voice which sounded like metal scratching against metal. Sam's breath caught in his throat, and his heart thumped at a startling rate. His body froze, and he didn't want to move another inch until he was more comfortable with the situation. Where am I? Naturally, this was the next question the young man could conjure up. This time, Sam stayed motionless and listened very carefully for the voice. Though, just like last time, there were several moments of the darkness whispering its silence to him again. He so desperately wished he could see something just an outline of any shape would suffice just something he could fix his constantly moving eyes on you're not where you're supposed to be that much you know for sure the stranger finally reciprocated sam flinched from the scratchy voice which he now determined emitted just a couple of feet in front of him the young man shivered as the situation grew surreal to him he didn't know where he was or how he got there he didn't know what the stranger was doing just a short distance in front of him nor did he even know their name what if this stranger was the one who brought him here? What are they planning to do with him? Will he even live long enough to see a sunrise again? 
These questions bounced around inside Sam's head with the quickness of ping pong balls, but the density of bowling balls. He struggled to fire another question off since he didn't know the answers of the ones rolling around in his mind. He finally decided to move again, but he thought it best not to travel forward since he didn't wish to get closer to the stranger. So he slowly scooted backward. He patted the ground behind him to check if anything was in the way, then he pulled himself back with his palms. He repeated this process a few times, just scooting back an inch or so at a time. He managed to do this for quite some time without alerting the stranger to his improvised escape. He felt like he had traveled quite a good distance, yet he still didn't run into a wall or anything for that matter. His arms soon grew tired and became sick of scrapping his butt on the rough surface beneath him. So he stopped and decided to test how far he had gotten by asking another question. Do you know where I came from? Sam asked, but the silence neglected to keep a lingering silence between them this time. I wish you would stop asking me questions I cannot answer. The stranger replied immediately, and Sam's heart climbed into his esophagus. The voice came from just a few feet in front of him again. This couldn't be. He had moved so far away, or at least he felt like he had traveled a few good yards, yet the voice sounded even closer. Sam trembled, since he didn't even hear any movement other than his own while he was trying to create some distance. Fear grippled the young man for a few moments, but luckily he was able to swallow his thumping heart back into his chest and attempt to get away again. Again, he slid back, this time about a foot at a time, or that's what it felt like at least. He reached far back with his arms and pulled until his butt was in the same place as his hands. He repeated this over and over. This time his arms were fatigued faster and his butt couldn't handle any more of the friction created from the movements. So he stopped and wanted to test the voice once more but couldn't think of anything to ask. Eventually he decided to not ask another question but instead give an empty compliment. You look lovely today, he stated in a quiet voice and the stranger answered even faster. I'm sure I do. Terror now gripped the young man as the voices were no longer a few feet away, but mere inches from him now. Sam felt the hot breath of the stranger wash over his face and move his short black hair. Each exhale hit him like a red-hot freight train, and each inhale chilled him to the bone as their air rushed past his face. He didn't know what to do. He definitely didn't want to speak again and didn't want to move either as he realized the further he moved away, the closer the stranger became. He only sat there, frozen with fear and anticipation, as he waited for the stranger to make their move. Sam expected a touch that would jolt him out of the skin since the breathing made him tremble like a tree in a harsh wind. Though nothing came, he only felt the inhale, then exhale of the stranger that refused to leave him alone. He shivered and stared into the darkness in front of him, with still no shape or silver of light manifesting for him to focus on. His eyes still darted and he trembled as he felt the vast space seem to grow larger around him. Even with the sharp-voiced stranger remaining only inches from him, the young man felt a solitary veil drape over his face. He shivered for a moment before muttering the courage to speak again. Why are you here? Even though Sam couldn't see any part of the stranger, he felt a smile grow on their lips as they were amused by the question. Now that is something I can answer confidently, but I wish to wait on it for a while. The stranger responded in a softer tone, yet still retained the rusty, almost prosecuting pitch. Sam felt a stream of frustration mixed into the swirling ocean of fear inside him. He wondered why the stranger was being so secretive and still pondered on why he was being kept here. What are you? 
Sam finally asked as his imagination ran wild since he couldn't see the stranger who still neglected to reveal themselves. A soft chuckle came from the darkness before a solid answer followed. I am you. A solid answer, yet that one surfaced more questions than it answered. Before Sam could even reciprocate, the stranger continued. Well, I am a piece of you. A very small and significant piece that you have neglected for years. Sam was still beyond confused. He wished to ask far more questions, yet the voice came again before he could part his lips. I used to be big. A very big part of you, but you began to travel down a dark path, which led to irresponsible decisions. With each of these horrible decisions, I shrunk. I tried to stop you. I tried talking civilly. But as you shrunk me, I resorted to screaming. I screamed a lot for a while. You still refused to listen to me. Eventually, you squished me so much that I lost my voice and you continued your decisions. Sam froze again as he began to realize who this stranger really was, but still more questions rose to his mouth. Where, where am I? Another chuckle floated through the darkness before an answer followed. You are here with me, and you will be here for a long time. Long, long time. Now, you have no choice but to listen to me. Sam scooted back one more time in a last desperate attempt to gain some distance, but as he did, he felt the breathing become his own. Then the voice echoed inside his head. I'm going to show you your every sin, your every misdeed, your entire discreet life. A loud booming laugh nearly split Sam's skull, causing him to collapse on his side and curl up in fear and helplessness. We're going to have a lot of fun, you and I. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That was good, right? Yeah, that last line is so good. This, This writer nailed it. Props to, uh, then system 1022 and, uh, L underscore Matthews. Well done. Well done. Very good stories. Yeah, I have no idea what I'd do in that situation. I love that the voices merged at the end. That was a cool way to wrap it up. That was awesome. Have at it. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So, Jesse, I know you are well aware of this story. Okay. Is it a local story? It's a local story. Okay. Local to Utah. I love it. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I won't interrupt. No, no, no. You're good. Feel free to interrupt. So, this is the true story of Kay's Cross. I love it. (laughs) I love it already. All right, so I want you to take a moment and just picture this with me. Mm -hmm. So, think back to high school. You and your buddies, you're hopping into your old Mazda. Gross. It's a Friday night. Everyone's just buzzing with excitement for the weekend. Okay, it's dark out. You're looking for something to do. Mm-hmm. Tyler probably asks, you know, where should we go tonight? What do you think? You know, you just go, you drive around, you drive around the neighborhoods, you roll the windows down, listen to music all loud. Classic high school. Totally. You know, you go to Kaysville, you drive past the mm-hmm. Kaysville Cemetery. You're just looking for something to do. And then all of a sudden, your headlights land upon a dark, one-way, tree-lined dirt road. Now... There's a sign up front that says Kay's Hollow, no trespassing. Within a moment, all the tales from fellow classmates flood your mind about the towering stone cross in the middle of the woods, the lonely soldier guarding the orchard, satanic ritualistic killings, the werewolf of the hollow, the silent polygamist family with long white dresses, the shotgun-wielding trigger-happy landowners, 
and the seven dead wives buried below that ever-stoic stone cross. You've never been here before, didn't actually mean to find it, but you just happened to turn down the right road at the right time, and there it is. So, which is it? What's actually true? The werewolf with the glowing yellow eyes that lurks among the shrub oak? Or is it the seven dead wives who are looking for revenge upon their husband? Honestly, the real story is a lot more messed up than any of the folklore that's out there. <laughs> so I hope you're excited. I just got like a wave of memories coming back to my brain. Oh, me that's too. That's crazy. Okay, keep going. All right, so the year's 1946, and a man by the name of Krishna Venta is in his prime. Now, Venta was a World War II vet, and after the war, he decided to change his course. He didn't want to keep doing that, so what he did is he started his own religion. Okay. Now, here's a twist. (laughs) Uh, He told everyone that he was Jesus Christ, that he was born on a planet similar to Earth's orbit, but his planet got too close to the sun, so he took a rocket here to Earth and wanted to colonize it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so oddly enough, he started gaining some followers, and this is when he started settling this commune in the Simi Valley of California. So he started this cult called the Fountain of the World, and the rules were as follows. They lived strictly without earthly things, so anything you owned, if you wanted to join, you had to get rid of it which was easy for people to do who were joining it because there was nothing of value on the commune anyways. Um, All members wore robes, they walked around barefoot, and all the men had to have long beards, and everyone was encouraged to grow out their hair super long. Hmm. Sounds like a cult. It it is a cult. (laughs) By all means, it's a cult. Yep. Uh, So if things weren't crazy enough, this is where it gets even worse. So, as the Messiah... Venta prophesied of a racially charged civil war in which the blacks and the whites would fight with help of the Russians. And he believed that this was the war to end everything. And once the war was over, he would be the Messiah. He and his followers would arise from their hidden valley in California, and he'd be the new Christ. He'd be the one to bring peace among the war and destroy the Russians. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Wouldn't doesn't he know that there's like other races out there too besides white and black people? <laughs> but they're the only ones who fought. apparently not. <laughs> and Russians are mostly white, so okay. Anyways, this guy sounds like a. We should get him on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we should. <laughs> okay, sorry. Keep going. No, you're good. Um, so does any of this sound familiar to you? Um, like a racial war, a prophecy of it, and someone being the messiah planning this war because this is what Charles Manson did Yep. so uh, it's believed however it's not confirmed that Venta's racial prophecies um, and other teachings heavily influenced Charles Manson to come up with his whole helter skelter scheme where he was going to murder people in the means of starting a race war um so, and there's actual evidence of this. So, um, Charles Manson actually lived with the commune, the Fountain of the World, in 1968, which was one year before his family murdered actress Sharon Tate. 
So okay. there's a lot of parallels between Krishna Venta's teachings and Charles Manson. So it kind of makes sense that people think Krishna Venta influenced Charles Manson to do Helter Skelter. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So back to Venta. In the years leading up to his murder in 1958, he became a lot more comfortable with the women in the commune. Of course. Yeah, I mean, that's Pervert. how all cults go, right? Yep. And the men, they really hated him for it. Yeah, um, Yeah. <laughs> Two of his ex-followers of the Fountain of the World, they had enough of Ventus sleeping with their wives, manipulating all their friends, and supposedly stealing a lot of money from the cult for his own use. And so what'd they do? They went on a suicide mission, and they blew each other up with Venta in the room. Okay. Yep. They wanted him dead. They were pissed. Wait. Like, C4, the whole shebang? Grenade, whatever TNT, it is. Black hat fireworks? <laughs> okay. One of those. He probably drove Jeez. up to Wyoming and got them illegally. Yep. That's how you do it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so. Well, all right. So, boom. He's, he's gone. Exactly. So, now... I know you're probably wondering, like, well, this cult's in Simi Valley, California. What does that have to do with Kaysville? Right. This small town in Utah. Well, Merlin Kingston did an interview in the 90s claiming to have built Kay's Cross for Krishna Venta. Now, this is odd because, you know, California, Utah, they're close-ish, but there's actually a lot of similarities between uh, the Kingston polygamous families Mormon beliefs and Krishna Venta's beliefs. And okay. it's theorized that they kind of built off of each other because the Kingstons kind of did their own thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. So the Kingstons, they owned this place called Kay's Hollow. And in 1946, they had Krishna Venta come and do lectures on their land in the woods. He would come, they would host him over the summer and the spring. And he would preach to people about how he's the new messiah. And with all this, Venta wanted a huge cross to represent his kingdom. In ah. which K for kingdom was engraved on the cross. So it wasn't for Kaysville. Not for Kaysville, not for Kingston, but for kingdom. Okay, so many Ks. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, there's... A lot of controversy surrounding this because Venta and the Kingstons, they had this pursuit of money, sex, manipulation, power, and it was only all cemented after he died and then furthered by Charles Manson's murders that his family committed. And the Stone Cross has stood alone for years after that. It welcomed any visitor brave enough to endure the trek through the dark woods under the light of the moon in an effort to see if the legends are true, which they are, at least some of them. So the cross was real. It was associated with cults, with murders, multiple murders, and much more. So in February 1992, it was a bleak day for people like us who like all the spooky things because an unknown person blew up the cross with dynamite. And to this day, it's still unknown who did it or why they did it. There's no answers out there. No one has come forward, and it's probably a good guess that no one ever will. Uh, was it a ploy by the landowners to get high schoolers to stop trespassing at night, or was it something more? Did people not want to be affiliated with 
the king stuns or with Krishnaventa's right. teachings. Yeah, well, I wonder if it's one of the, the husbands that <laughs> yeah. was a that didn't blow himself up. Came yeah. back and was like trying to get rid of all memory of what's his face of Krishna. Of Krishna, yeah. yeah. And you know, even though it's blown up, a lot of the remains are still there in the woods. So you can go visit Kay's Hollow today. It's true. They do a haunted tour during the spooky season. Mm-hmm. Um, they tell legends of the cross, and it's still there in the dark forest. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but is it so? It's a haunted tour now because at one point it was a haunted like alleyway, so it was like a haunted house type of thing. And then, from what I remember, you go through it and you end at the cross, and then you go and then you come back. Okay, so that's what I've heard. I've never actually done it myself, but in was, reading online, yeah. I've read that there are haunted tours you can take. Yeah, so it's probably just haunted tours now. Yeah, cool. I'm not sure. Well, we got to do it this Halloween, and then, and then we can report back to all of our many, many listeners. <laughs> but yeah, that's the real story of Kay's Cross, and that's why so many people still go there to this day. I mean, I had friends in high school who'd go there. I had one friend who went in the middle of the night, and... He said that an owner came out of the house while they were walking through the woods mm-hmm. and he had a shotgun mm-hmm. and he told them, get off my property. And they said, sorry, we're just looking for the cross. We didn't know where it was. And the guy's like, oh, I'll show you. And so he walked with them through the woods and he got to the edge of this grove and he said, okay, I stop here. It's ahead. Good luck. And he left them alone. What the heck? Yeah. Wow. Well, same thing happened to me. The landowner came out of his house with a shotgun. He fired a warning shot and said, get off our land. (laughs) And so we booked it out of there. Uh, Wow, that's crazy. If you you guys that are listening like Ghost Adventures, they actually went there for an episode. Uh, One of their more recent seasons, I believe. Maybe it's like within the last three or four. Um, But you can check that out on Travel Channel. And... uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so many legends, so many weird, weird things that happen there. And, and it's what's crazy is Tessa and I, we grew up just seriously three mi- minutes up the road. Like it's right in our backyard. And and it's just so, it's so weird to me that that it's there, but no one ever talks about it. It's like a dark part of like Davis County, I guess. And people kind of don't know about it, just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, people would rather make lore about it than face the truth that it has ties to Charles Manson, and it was this insane cult. That's crazy. I had no idea it was, it was yeah, tied back to Charles Manson, so, wow. Yeah, we have Krishna Venta to thank for Helter Skelter, supposedly, supposedly. Mm. Well, that's our stories for today, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our spooky soup. It's delicious. Tastes like brains. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been episode one. There are going to be many more to come. We hope to grow our fan base here soon so that we can obviously come back with more content for you all. But, uh, guys, you're awesome. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next one. See you soon.